You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Don't be afraid. Come with me. on the hill, filled with thrills and chills. Turn off the lights and light a candle. Pull up a seat if you will. You are listening to Lights Out Radio. Hello, how you doing? What's up? What's happening? Welcome to another edition of Lights Out Radio. I'm your host, Justin. Thank you for stopping in, stepping in, stepping by, saying how you doing, checking us out. I love it. I love it. I hope everybody's doing okay. I know the world's a little crazy right now, but I hope everybody's holding their own and holding strong. The world is just a hot mess right now, isn't it? I mean, it just seems like everything, one one thing after another, just boom, 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 like the domino effect. I mean, it kind of reminds me of about 25 years ago or so, 25, yeah, about 25 years ago. This kind of event and idea was referred to as the quickening. It's kind of crazy to think of now. But anyway, we have a lot going on in this show, so I'm going to jump right back to it. Now... I'm kind of besides myself and at war with myself about this episode, to be honest. I was going to save it because I was going to space them out. With this show just being fresh and new, I didn't want people to strictly think that we did cryptozoology. You know, that this was an only cryptid radio show kind of thing. Because that is definitely not the case at all. We're going to be covering so much stuff on a weekly basis on this show. And I really can't wait until it's a live show. It's going to be so amazing. Really excited for that aspect of it. I really want this show to have no limits and to know no boundaries whatsoever. But I say all of that to say this. When I was doing my research on the Bill Ramsey episode, and I was looking into werewolves and everything like that. Like I said in the first one, I've always been interested in that but never really interested you know what I mean so I'm doing all this research and there's so many things and and different areas and different legends and lore and it's crazy I came up with so much data I didn't know what to do with it and I didn't want my first episode to be like a three-hour episode you know what I mean I don't know if I was ready for all that and I didn't know if I wanted to come straight out of the gate setting those kinds of standards to have to live up to But nevertheless, I guess we'll just consider this a two-part episode, right? Oh, but with a quick side note, so Saturday's show I mentioned about the Halloween being delayed until next year, and Candyman has now taken that slot. It's October 16th of this year, so it's been pushed back to there, so let's hope it stands firm on October 16th, because I'm really interested to see what Jordan Peele does with this, and I heard Tony Todd's in it again, so let's just hope it lives up to the standards of the original. But now, on with the show. (laughs) So as I said, I knew this was going to be a two-part kind of show, but I did want to space them out with a variety. I was going to do like three shows in between them, but I figured I'd just get it off my chest while it's still freshly absorbed, and that way I'm still kind of up to funk with it and on point. So when we come back from our first commercial break, we're going to jump into a few mysterious and unexplained animal attacks, as well as physical evidence from an unknown animal down in Mexico. Stay tuned, you're not going to want to miss it. And 
welcome back to Lights Out Radio, everybody. My name is Justin, and I'm your host. And I just wanted to get back to this story real quick. So that story I did last week about the boy in Kentucky, I had gotten some messages after that show released about people hearing or seeing somewhere the report and the release that a dogfighting ring nearby was potentially the cause. So a loose dog, I guess, or a dog from the dogfighting ring or something. Now, I will say that I, too, have heard this story, but I have not seen any physical evidence, any kind of press release, or any kind of anything physical. It's just kind of word of mouth. So if somebody was to have some kind of physical evidence, I would love to see it. Thank you for that. Now, I would just like to take a second to welcome everybody coming in, tuning in from Mob Talk Radio. I know Jeff referred the show, so I want to give him a special shout out. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the love. And I just want to give you guys an extra welcome, so thank you for stopping in. And for anybody listening now to my show that hasn't tuned in to Mob Talk Radio, doesn't know what it is, if you guys can get down with organized crime stuff, you know, the mafia shit, the mob shit, La Cosa Nostra, basically worldwide organized crime, he has a really good show. He's a fucking smart dude, wicked fucking smart. And he's just an all-around good guy. So if you're into that kind of stuff, feel free to check that out. It's a good show. I've been rocking with Jeff for a few years. And now on with the show. So this first story we're going to get into happened Sunday, November 24th, 2019. Just about 50 miles east of Houston, Texas. 59-year-old Christine Rollins, God bless you, ma'am, was a caregiver. I'm assuming she was a home caregiver because she was scheduled to work at a couple's home from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. that day. And it's reported that one of the clients, the husband, found Christine's body in the yard and their son Bubba called the authorities at 7.35. Now keep in mind, Bubba declined to do an interview on this story, but he was quoted saying, it's been a nightmare. We've never seen nothing like this our whole life, end quote. And I think it's also smart to keep in mind that Christine Rollins was about five foot one and she weighed about 131 pounds. So Bubba made the phone call at 7.35 a.m. And the Chambers County Sheriff's Department was there at 7.43 a.m. Now that's a hell of a quick response time. I'll give them props for that. They arrived to find Christine on her back. Her blue shirt and jacket were pushed up as if she had been dragged feet first. Her pants and shoes were off. Her calves looked like they had been chewed on and eaten and pieces of her legs were missing. They also reported that her body was found six feet from her Chrysler and five feet from the front of the house and that the hood of her car was still warm. Captain John Miller states that injuries show that Christine was charged while standing because of a severe head injury. So the theory goes that she was charged, whatever it was, knocked her down, hit her, whatever, she busted her head and then it drug her by her feet and then started eating at her legs. But the fact that she was found with her pants and her shoes off still kind of itches at my underskin, you know what I mean? But nevertheless, uh, the next day, a medical examiner with the Chambers County Sheriff determined that feral hogs had killed her. Now, I think it would be wise in this moment to keep in mind that in the whole history of the United States of America, there have only been four deadly attacks on humans by feral hogs in the whole kept history. Now, don't get me twisted or confused. I'm not saying that feral hogs or wild boars, whatever you call them, didn't do this. I'm simply saying that with only four deadly attacks on humans in a whole history, that's quite the hill to climb for my imagination. You, you understand where I'm coming from? 
And John Mayer, who's a hog attack expert who was consulted by the county on the case, he goes on to say, we don't know the complete picture here. We don't know all the circumstances. I would also like to add the point that the couple that she was home caring for, they did own a Labrador trained for duck hunting and four small dogs that resembled either corgis or terriers. According to a lot of different news sources as well, there are a lot of dissatisfied people with the official story. One of those dissatisfied would be the victim's 40-year-old daughter, Lasanthea Sandals, who is seeking justice and filing suit because she doesn't believe the official story. She thinks it's a cover-up, and she believes that the owner's dogs had something to do with it. Now, I'm not convinced either with the official story, but hear me out for a second. How I don't believe that a Labrador and four corgis or four terriers would be able to do such a thing. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm full of shit. I don't know. But either way, it's hard for me to believe that those dogs would have caused something like this. Now, investigators did note that they found multiple punctures in the body, which they said could be caused by the tusks of the wild hogs. And Captain John Miller also goes on to state that the injuries also show she was likely attacked by more than just one boar. And it is unusual for a boar to be with other pigs. The sheriff believes Rollins fought back. It is one of those things, Miller said, that you sit there and you scratch your head and you say, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. And for our next story, we're going to head up north to Nova Scotia, Canada. Where on June 9th, 2020, 15-year-old Kiana Borden found a woman laying dead in a ditch. Kiana says that she had been out for a morning jog when she ran past the lady and her dog. But then returning 15 minutes later, she realized something was wrong. Borden stated, I go to step over and the dog comes at me. I'm telling him to back down because I'm not going to hurt him. And then I see the woman in the ditch. It was quite scary. He was very on guard and protective, but he seemed kind of nice. Like he didn't want to hurt me, but he knew that there was something very wrong. So Borden then waves down somebody driving by, taking their dog to doggy daycare, and they call 911. And I guess at this time, the dog goes taken off down the street. And Jocelyn Parker, the lady that Borden flagged down, said, What transpired in that 10 or 15 minutes, we don't know. Only her and the dog will know. But we believed the dog attacked her because of the type of injury she had. And then also, officers who arrived on the scene agreed that the woman was attacked by an animal. So the police being precautious, they put out an alert to the public and put out an APB on the dog, which multiple witnesses described as being a pit bull, but the police cannot confirm the breed. Now enter Mark Taylor, who heard the news and saw the dog on the road. He ran it over saying killing the dog was the right thing to do. He was quoted saying, I seen the pit bull, I knew it was the dog instantly, and I didn't concern myself. I took care of the dog and it was quick, Taylor said. It could have hurt someone else and people's lives are more important than the dog's life. I mean, he also goes on the record stating, I know in this area a lot of people walk along the roads, so I was concerned with that, but I also have livestock in that direction. Parker also went on to state that at that point we hadn't put together that the dog was perhaps behind the incident. He was not aggressive to us. And that is all there is on that story. So I got a few side notes the first being, I am kind of sketched out on the fact that they say she was walking her dog when it attacked her. Now, that does seem off to me. I've never really... I mean, it just seems weird to think of somebody walking their dog and then their dog just flipping out and killing them on the spot. But it is plausible. The second issue I have being that the witnesses report that the dog wasn't aggressive towards them. In a protective, scared mode, 
but not aggressive towards them. The other thing, like, there's no complaints of blood or anything on its face or anything. You, you know what I mean? Stuff that you would be like, yeah, that dog killed that lady. But who the hell am I to say I wasn't there, so I really don't know. All I do know is that it is a weird, sketchy story. And now we're going to jump back in the plane and go back down south to Chiapas, Mexico. It's on the other side of the Yucatan Peninsula, right next to Guatemala, where residents are said to be terrified after multiple reported wolfman, werewolf, dogman, whatever you want to call them, after multiple sightings. The creature is said to be roughly six and a half feet tall and agile at night, running along people's rooftops. There haven't been any reported attacks or altercations with the creature, but it has left physical evidence behind. Now the photos I'm going to show you during this, those are the actual photos that were supposedly left behind by this creature. So according to some of these reports, the mysterious beast has been heard walking across rooftops and some residents have even fallen out whether it should be protected or eliminated. There have also been reports of gunshots at night prompting a local police investigation. One local resident took to Twitter and said, for the second night they do not sleep. This time, the media and reporters report shooting into the air from homes and people who hear loud wailing like howling. One pastor has asked residents to place candles outside their homes to help calm things down. According to a psychotherapist, the most likely explanation is collective hysteria, exasperated by the coronavirus pandemic lockdown. They were quoted saying it's easier to be afraid of something you know compared to something you don't know. And that this collective panic could be projecting itself in the form of a mythical creature. Now, as I've said before, I've always been in awe of the whole werewolf mythology, the legend of it. It's been always been kind of cool to me. But I never even thought for a split second that stuff like this actually existed and was going on until I started doing research for the last episode. So it's crazy to me. Secondly, I'm not really a fan of the whole dogman name. I mean, it is what it is. Who am I to change anything or say, no, it should be this? It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't sound right to me. But that's neither here nor there. I digress. So I guess only time will tell if the residents of Chiapas are right, if there really is some kind of werewolf, dogman, wolfman running around. Only time will tell, and I guess we'll see. And that's all I have for weird stories. So we're going to cut to a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into the Beast of Bray Road. It's centered in Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, to be specific. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Lights Out Radio. And I'm Justin, your host. I'm just clowning on the mic, man. Uh, so we're going to get into the Beast of Bray Road. It's centered around Elkhorn, Wisconsin, which is around southern central Wisconsin. And there's a lot of sightings in southern Wisconsin and in Wisconsin in general, actually. But this story in particular really put a stranglehold on my curiosity. So after I did all the research I could, I made a few calls, kissed a couple hands, shook a couple babies, and I got some people up there that I need to go talk to and do some investigation of my own. But due to travel plans and the pandemic, that investigation has been delayed, unfortunately, only for a couple months. But I do want to thank those people for being generous enough to help me out with this. And I would also like to take a quick second to pass along a message. If you are going to go up there to investigate and try to check this thing out, remember a few things, okay? So this thing is supposedly some big-ass seven-foot, like, monster. So keep your safety in mind at that point. And another thing, don't go wander on to somebody's property without asking them. 
That's a good way to get your ass shot if we're going to be straight up about it. And the last thing to keep in mind that was kind of requested from the people I spoke with, don't steal the Bray Road sign. Don't be a jerk off. Don't be that guy. If you want to take a picture with it, take a picture with it. But don't steal it, man. That's just, that's ridiculous in my opinion. So there are literally hundreds of reports of wolfman, dogman, werewolf looking beasts all over Wisconsin, right? Now the first one goes all the way back to the first settlers in Wisconsin who described canine creatures who would attack and then vanish without a trace. Now I'm just thinking out loud, but there is somebody who came up with a connection that I found really interesting. So they took a map of all the native effigy mounds in Wisconsin and then overlaid a map of these dogman, wolfman sightings. And it is crazy, absolute crazy, the coincidence of how a lot of them correlate together. I just wanted to make a note of that. I thought it was pretty cool. Now, the first ever actual recorded sighting of the Beast of Bray Road was in 1936. So the reports say that this man was driving along Highway 18 east of Jefferson, Wisconsin, when he saw something digging in an old Indian mound. Kind of curious, right? He goes on to describe it as being a part wolf, part man looking creature, about six foot tall, covered in hair, and standing upright. Now, you can call me stupid, wrong, or crazy, but I really believe there's some kind of correlation between these Native American uh, effigy mounds and these sightings. I really do, especially with that first report where he said it was digging in the mound. Seems kind of weird to me. And I'll probably say this a million times within the lifespan of this show. I fully believe that Native Americans were here first, so they have a better grasp of what was going on on the land and stuff here before we even showed up. And they also, in my humble opinion, I believe that they are a little more in tune with the spiritual side of nature and everything going on. So take that for what you will, grain of salt, throw it over your shoulder, but it's just my thought. So there are literally hundreds of reports and sightings. I'm only going to do a few. Maybe I'll do a full show about this after I do my own research on it and go up there and see it firsthand for myself in a few months. Uh, So stay tuned for that possibility, but I also want to take this time to commend Linda Godfrey on her work, all her hard work, all the hours she's put in, all the books she's written about it. I would say she is probably the leading expert on the Beast of Bray Road, and you can't really talk about the Beast of Bray Road without talking about Linda Godfrey. So there's that. Congratulations, commendations, salutations. Good job, Linda. Thanks for all the hard work. So we're going to fast forward to October 31st, Halloween night. 1991. A woman named Doris Gibson was driving along Bray Road. She reports coming upon the intersection of Bray Road and Hospital Road when she reached down to change the radio station. She felt the front right tire come off the ground like she had hit something, right? So she gets out of the car to check it out. She doesn't see anything on the road behind her car. She doesn't see anything on the road at all. Nothing on the side of her car. And then she looks down the road And she sees this big, she said she doesn't know what it was. She said she couldn't really see it. But she saw this big, hairy, bulky beast just ripping, just roaring right at her, just coming straight at her, right? So she jumps in the car. She tries to drive away. The beast jumps on the back of her, on the back of her car, on her trunk. But it's being, you know, it's Halloween in Wisconsin. It's probably snow. It's wet, she said. So it's fell off the trunk onto the ground and she raced away. 
Now, later on that night, she's passing the scene again. She's taking a young girl trick-or-treating when she sees something large on the side of the road. Now, she sees it start moving, and she recognizes it as the creature from earlier, so she tells the girl to lock the door, and she speeds away. Now, the next day, she's telling the neighbor the story and shows her the scratches that are left on the trunk of her car from where the creature jumped on the car. Now, she goes on to say that she doesn't know what it was for sure, she thinks it might have been a bear because of its size. And it was really angry at her for hitting it with her car. All she knows for sure is that it was bigger than her. It was super angry and it left scratches on the trunk of her car from where it jumped on it. Lori Andreezy was driving down Bray Road in 1990 when she saw something kneeling on the side of the road. It looked like it was eating something, she said. So she was pulling up on it. She was coming up from the backside of it. She slowed down because she thought it was a person. And then when she was passing it, she knew it wasn't a person because she saw the pointy ears. She described it as having really big claws, holding the roadkill it was eating like it had elbows, and kneeling on both knees like a human might do. So based on Lori's account and description, Linda Godfrey had drew up a composite drawing of what Lori had seen. So another account not far from Bray Road was involved with Tom Brichta and his buddy Scott. They were cruising down Route 106. He said they were listening to old tunes, jamming out, just cruising, you know what I mean? When they saw a beast-like creature crossing the road standing on its hind legs. Now Tom reports that when they pulled up on it, it raised its right hand in the air and stared at the car kind of nonchalantly. He said it made eye contact with him and his buddy Scott and gave him a sneer like it was challenging them. Like, yo, like you see me, what are you going to do about it kind of sneer, he says. And then they tried to pull off, and it scratched the passenger side of the car. Tom's buddy Scott made the statement that he was big, it was intimidating, and he was scared of its appearance. And the last account we're going to run through uh, is back in 2006 with Steve Kruger. Now, he got out of college, and he got a job immediately with the sanitation, clearing the roads of deer and roadkill. So Steve reports that he's driving down the road working. It's a cool, nice evening. He said he comes across this 80-pound dead doe carcass laying in the road. So he gets out of the truck. He drops the tailgate, picks up the doe. He's thrown it in the back of the truck. And then he gets back into the cab of the truck, breaks out his clipboard, and starts doing the paperwork, right? So he's sitting there filling out the paperwork for this, and then he feels the truck shake. He said he thought it was maybe the wind, so he kind of ignored it and went back to filling out his paperwork. But then he felt the truck shake again, and he said it felt like something really heavy got into the bed of the truck. So he turns around and shines his flashlight out of the window, out of the back of the cab, you know what I mean, facing the bed of the truck. And he said that's when he saw the creature. He goes on to describe the creature as being about seven foot tall and having a huge wolf head on top of a bear's body. It's at this point where he says the creature notices him, so starts making a move for the front of the truck where he is. So fight or flight kicks in. He says flight, so he hits the gas, tries to take off, and the beast ends up jumping out of the bed of the truck. So there you have it, at least for this go-around. It's a very interesting story. I mean, it was on Inside Edition back in like 93. They've made movies about it. It's been on a few other shows. And I'm really pumped and amped up to go investigate it myself. And like I said, after I do that in a couple months, I'll probably just do a whole show on it just to get out all the details and everything that I've learned personally. And that last description that guy gave kind of struck me a little bit. He said it was a big wolf head on top of a bear's body. Now this kind of reminds me of the legend of the Wahila or the Amarok. 
It's based off a Native American legend from the Inuit tribe. Says it lives in Alaska, Canada, and can be found in northern United States. It's described as a supernatural bear-wolf creature. It's said to stalk and devour any person foolish enough to hunt at night, and it also removes the heads of its victims. And that brings us to the final topic of this episode. It kind of ties in with it, you'll see. But we're going to be talking about the Nahani National Park in Canada, also known as the Headless Valley. So stay tuned. When we come back from this commercial break, you're not going to want to miss it. So sit tight and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Lights Out Radio. Thank you for sitting tight and holding on. So we're going to get into this now. Deep in the Northwest Territories in Northern Canada, there's a Nahani National Park Reserve. Now in that park, there's something called the Nahani Valley, also known as the Headless Valley, also known as the Valley of Headless Men, also known as the Headless River. Now the Nahani Valley is only accessible by river, plain, or foot, with deep canyons, hot springs, a lot of turbulent river water, white water, and a huge waterfall. Now this area was occupied by the Native American Dene tribe, and according to their tradition, the Nahani Valley was inhabited by a nomadic warlike tribe called the Naha. Now the Naha were ferocious warriors who frequently descended from their mountain homes to raid Dene settlements. And after suffering a number of devastating incursions, a party of Dene braves took to the warpath, right? So they're traveling into Nahani country with the intention of pillaging a Naha camp. In time, the warriors came upon a scattering of teepees and prepared to attack. Upon rushing into the camp with their weapons at hand, however, the Dene discovered that their enemies were nowhere to be found as if they had vanished into thin air. And after that, they never heard or saw from the Naha again. Also, according to Dene traditions, the Nahani Valley is filled with stories of bad medicine, which is kind of like witchcraft, evil spirits, hairy giants, and prehistoric monsters. So let's fast forward to the summer of 1897, where word spread of a fabulous gold strike in the Klondike. So a lot of people started making their way up north through Canada. They were called Stampeders, and they tried to make it up to the Klondike and the Yukons uh, through various trails. Some of them tried to use the South Nahani River, which is the river that goes through the Nahani Valley. Reports state that at least two of these stampeders successfully reached their destination, but many more disappeared in the misty valley long shunned by the natives. So despite all the bad juju around this valley, um, there's prospectors that had still had hopes of discovering gold. Two of the men were Willie and Frank McLeod. Now, sometime in 1904-1905, the McLeod brothers, equipped with mining gear, disappeared up the South Nahani and, according to some, further up the Flat River. They were never seen alive again. And then three years after their disappearance, their little brother, Charlie, fearing the worst, mounted a search party. The ragtag band of trappers, aboriginals, and ex-mounties he recruited headed up the South Nahani River, warily scanning the wooded shore for anything out of the ordinary. So after several days of tracking, paddling, and pulling their canoes upriver, Charlie and his crew made a grisly discovery. On a flat stretch of riverbank, known thereafter as Dead Man Valley, sprawled the decapitated remains of Willie and Frank McLeod. Their heads were nowhere to be found. A few years later, another prospector lured by the tales of lost gold was Martin Jorgensen, a Norwegian woodsman who entered Nahani country in about 1910. Now five years later, his headless corpse was discovered about a mile above the mouth of the Flat River. Nearby stood the charred remains of his log cabin, which had mysteriously burned to the ground. 
And like the McLeod brothers, Jorgensen's head was never found. And I mean, the list just goes on. Like, in the winter of 1922, the body of a World War I veteran named John O'Brien was discovered on a mountainside not far from the Dead Man Valley, hunched over a pile of tinder with a matchbook in his hand as if he had frozen to death while trying to light a fire. Also, in 1945, an Ontario prospector named Ernest Savard was found dead in his sleeping bag with his head severed from his shoulders, never to be found. Also, trappers Bill Epler and Joel Maholland simply vanished without a trace. And I mean, a lot of these instances furthered the legend that the Nahani Valley is cursed and that those who dare to search for its gold or come close to finding it invariably suffer from some sort of ghastly fate. But as the years went on, the remote wilds of the Nahani began to appeal to geologists, naturalists, and other representatives of the scientific community. So with their northern frontier ever shrieking under the onslaught of industrial exploration, these academics jumped at the opportunity to study this vast tract of virgin wilderness, virtually unspoiled by man. Now throughout the 1960s, some of the scholarly professionals who entered the Nahani returned from their expeditions with experiences they could not explain. The accounts of these academics, coupled with the local anecdotes, gave rise to a new Nahani legend. So according to these witnesses, the Nahani Valley is home to an enormous, solitary, wolf-like creature that they referred to as a bear dog. Enter the Wahila and the Amarok, like I was talking about earlier. But whatever the case may be, some considered the Wahila or the Amarok to be a likely suspect in the Nahani's many mysterious deaths and disappearances. So there you go, there you have it. That was the Nahani Valley, a.k.a. the Valley of Headless Men, a.k.a. the Headless Valley, a.k.a. the Headless River. So there we go. I didn't hear about that place until I heard uh, Dan Aykroyd talking about it, which he's Canadian, so I thought it was kind of cool. I looked into it. It seemed really, really interesting. And then I noticed how it kind of tied in with some of of the reports that were made on Bray Road in Wisconsin, the Beast of Bray Road. A lot of people described it as like a bear dog wolf mixture kind of thing so i thought all that tied in really interesting so i thought i'd just throw it together for you guys and i hope you enjoyed it so stay tuned for uh serial killer saturday coming up and then next week's episode i hope you guys have a great week stay strong stay safe stay blessed i'm justin your host and you've been listening to lights out radio yeah